but I'm going to be shorter than planned. <laughs> but I want to just say this is an exhortation for you. Uh, the Lord just dropped it when, when we hit the ground at Newark Airport, when we landed. I, I got this phrase in my head, it's go time. I was so excited to see the harvest that we saw over there. In large part, you know, 250 plus is because these churches that we partner with, they go where nobody has heard the gospel before. So they're going into the villages, they go to the border of Guinea and over on the other side, and they plant churches. And one of the pastors, uh, I tried to talk with as many of the pastors at the training as I could. One of them, just one of them out of about 180 said, uh, I was asking him, so tell me what you do. He goes, oh, I plant churches. He said, oh yeah, like where are they? How many you got? Uh, about 67 now. That was one guy in a crowd of 180 planted 67 churches since two years ago when we were there last. So it's a fruitful, fruitful place. And I got really excited and convicted and then excited again and convicted again. And the Lord just dropped this phrase in my spirit. It's go time, Blair. It's go time. I, I love you. I love being a shepherd. I love being a pastor. But I've, re, uh, I've gotten reignited with a zeal and a love for the lost. For those who have never heard before. Do you know in America... Our nation is saturated with the gospel, saturated with churches, good Bible preaching churches too. I'm not talking about just some pop-up thing that's not doing anything for Jesus. I mean, there, there are at least five churches in this town that I would recommend to somebody who's newly saved because I know the pastor's hearts, I know what they preach and teach, and you'd get a good foundation in Christ and grow. But I've got this growing zeal in me now. Where are the ones who have really not got it yet? Where are the ones who have never heard? I heard a great message from uh, a guy, I always blank on his name when I want to remember it. But anyway, he was from, uh, he's from Norway and he goes to Pakistan to preach. So he's, it's not hard to find him in a crowd over there. And, and he just ministers in power and, and he, he said this thing, he was at Christ's community. He said, you know what I find whenever I come back to America? You know what our problem is? Is that it's like we have the bread of life and we keep feeding the front rows of the church over and over again. And we keep feeding the bread of life to the same people over and over again. Maybe a handful of them will do something with it, but then they come back and they need a new creative way for the message to be presented. Or that wasn't a good word. I didn't get fed today. I saw a really funny meme the other day. It said, um, somebody came home and said, yeah, worship. I, I didn't really get anything out of worship today. And the guy said, well, it's a good thing it wasn't for you. How many of you know the word of life, the life that we have? It's not about us. It's not about us. I thank God for being a son of God. I will never stop singing his praises for that. I will never lose my gratitude and never forget what it was like to be lost and out there, no hope, no God in my life. I pray I never forget that day. But since we got saved, there's a world out there now, saints. And I'm telling you, the harvest is ready. It's not just in Liberia. I was so convicted because we get discouraged. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. You can ignore me if I am. I don't intend the pulpit to be a confessional. But I get so discouraged in my spirit when I I minister to somebody, I minister Christ, they don't come to Christ, go back again, they still don't receive Christ. And sometimes, you know, I've I've even said the word, it's like plowing on, on concrete to sow the word of God in this place. And, and I just felt so convicted in my spirit about that. That, that. that is a lie. 
It's an absolute lie. The enemy would love for us to think, what's the point? It's no good sharing Christ with anybody because they're not getting saved. It's time for us to take a message with the power accompanying it to people. I'm telling you, saints, open your eyes and look around. There are people right now that God has already connected you with. I've, I've named a few in my life since coming back from Liberia that I know they are lost and without purpose, without hope, and without God. And I know that inside of me and inside of you is the answer for that. And the only way the message doesn't get out is if we're silent about it. That guy, the brother that planted those 67 churches, he told, I asked him, and he told me the number one answer that people give after they come to Christ, and I mean, it's like they show the Jesus film, and a whole village comes to Christ. Pastor Moses told me they just did that in a village not far from where we were, and they, they've translated the Jesus film into, um, into their tribal language. And so the guy came up afterward and he said, oh, I never knew Jesus spoke Pella. That's their tribal language, you know? But the most common thing they hear is people will say, God came to earth and we're just finding out now? There are so many people in the world who haven't even heard yet. And we may live in a nation right now, I don't, I don't want to use terms, I'm not even going to say it out loud. We may live in a nation right now that's in desperate need of an awakening and a revival because we've heard the word and we've gone to sleep over it. That's why it's called an awakening. You can't awaken something that's already awake. That means the church has fallen asleep, people have got comfortable in our prosperity, and we've learned to live without God. Our nation has learned how to live life without God. I pray we don't get to a place where we find out what it's like to be a nation whose God is not the Lord. I don't believe we're there yet, but boy, it sure, sure looks like it sometimes. I, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, and I also feel a fire under my butt. <laughs> I'm here to light a fire under yours too. Because it is, it's time not to wait and see. It's time not to wait and find out what might happen next. It's time to go. It's go time. In a few hours from now, there are going to be uh, about 100-something men who have been training all season to win a game today. I heard there's like a big game this afternoon or something like that going on somewhere. And they've been trained. And somewhere the coach is going to give one final speech in the locker room before about five tons of raw manhood goes out on a field to try to get a ball across a goal line. And they're going to give a passionate speech. And I don't know what they're going to say, but they're going to say something to rally the troops. Come on, man, we got to go. We're going to win this thing. We worked so hard and we tried so much and you leave it all on the field, right? They're going to give all that kind of speech with that to win a stinking football game. Yes. I'm sorry, I love football. I really do. I'm going to hate, I love hate football because my Giants are awful the last few years. <laughs> So I've got a love-hate thing going on with it, but I love the game. But it's just a stinking game. Yes. It really is. We give a tenth of the passion that we give to the leisures, the leisures. How do we say it in America? I'm still speaking Liberian English. To the leisurely things that we do to pass the time, the entertainment and amusement. Do you know what the word amusement means? A means to take away from or to remove, and muse means to think. So we have trained ourselves not to think. Amused. We've been amused into apathy, and it's go time. 
It's go time. They're gonna run out on that field and the only thing they're gonna think of for the next three hours is getting more points than the other team. I would suggest that we should be just as zealous that we have more souls than the other team at the end of this game called life. So Jesus reappeared, he came back from the grave, he rose, and his last words to his disciples, <laughs> 40 days that Jesus had with his disciples after rising from the dead. And it says that he was teaching them about the kingdom of heaven for those 40 days. Man, I would love to get the tapes from that seminar. So there I'm still calling it tapes. I would love to have the podcast from that seminar. I would just love to hear, what did he say? 40-day seminar with Jesus on the kingdom of heaven. I'll sit down, you go, Jesus, you know, any day on that. And then they asked him one question. All of it was over. He's like starting to lift up into heaven. (laughs) And they're like, wait, wait, wait. So will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still stuck on the like pre-Jesus messianic hopes that they had. If I were Jesus, I would have been, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, dad. They need another seminar. They need a little bit more time. But he just very graciously answered them and he said, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs or the seasons of time that are fixed, which my father has fixed by his own authority. You know, how much time have we spent trying to discern the times? I would, if I would keep them, I throw them out now, but if I would keep every note I've ever taken or every handbook or every book that I've received about interpreting the end times, we could have a bonfire right now. I mean, it would be, you know, Todd would be able to make his announcements, you know, with the bonfire we'd have. <laughs> and we spend so much time trying to wrangle and figure it out. When's Jesus coming back? When's this going to happen like that? And Jesus just said, dude, there's some work to do. So how about you, you let the Father worry about that and you get busy because it's go time. It's time for you now to go into all the world and share the gospel with every living creature. See, what happens is, this is what happens throughout history. We have this surge of an awakening or a revival or a renewal. People go out and evangelize. Hundreds of thousands get saved. A nation gets transformed. And then we say, great, now let's go back and game's on tonight and we go right back into that comfortable place that we lived in I'm going to tell you right now one one thing uh, apart from the joy of seeing you pour yourselves out into the Liberian people which was I didn't show the slide but my favorite part of the whole trip was watching the team in action at an altar call we had, like the first night we had uh, like 120 responded to the Lord and, and, and it was packed and watching like the team just dive right in and lay hands like Liz disappeared <laughs> in the crowd of people. Todd, you could see anywhere. Now he's like head and shoulders taller than the rest and, and they're in there and they're laying hands and people are crying. Liberians crying is a rare sight to behold. It's a beautiful thing to see. Because they've, they've just become uh, every, uh, the war, Ebola, the poverty that they live in, $5 a day is the average income over there. And, and, and man, like, not, like Anya said, so joyful in their worship. Fix your eyes on Jesus and all the world fades away and it's a Holy Ghost party every time. It makes me feel like I'm tame. <laughs> what was I saying? Brian, what was the point I was about to make? Apart from seeing you all pour yourselves out, come back 
I feel so refreshed with gratitude. I come back feeling renewed and, and repentant about the ingratitude, the first world problems that I've complained about. I feel like it's a reset button every time I go, hey, don't forget that there right now, you are so blessed. It, you should just be falling on your knees thanking God. When I came back from my first mission trip, which was to India, I literally got on my knees and kissed the ground at the airport in gratitude for God, for what we have. Problem is, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't against being wealthy. Jesus wants us to prosper. Jesus wants all the world to prosper as we have. So why was he, was he cynical? What was the problem with that? No, it's just that wealth can become a replacement for dependency on God and thankfulness. And so Jesus said, Here, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you're gonna be my witnesses. You know what you have to be to be a witness? You know what you have to do? You have to say something. If you're in a court and the lawyer calls you to be a witness to the crime or the witness to whatever it is, and you just sit there and you're quiet, you're not much of a witness. We're not much of a witness if all we think, uh, I get it, I've shared this with you. As uh, one of the saints of old said, preach Christ always and if necessary, use words. Problem is we've taken that sometimes and said, well, then I'll never use words. No, there's gotta be the word of salvation. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. There's gotta be the word said. We have got to become emboldened. I'd say not become emboldened. I would rather say use the courage that's already on the inside of us and get to a place where I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. There has got to be the spoken proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our problem is we're embarrassed. I don't know. We think, well, maybe they'll reject us. Maybe I'll be made fun of. Look, if you're in school, I get it. I remember high school very well. I do. And I didn't have Jesus in high school, but I was totally petrified of being the outcast. And, and how many of you have learned, it doesn't change when you graduate. There is always a fear of being the odd one out. And all of my word for you today is what the Lord spoke to me all those years ago is get over yourself. That's harsh. You're a pastor. You shouldn't say things. I'm just telling you what he said to me. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me. This is about people that right now are walking in darkness and have yet to see the great light that we've all seen. We're the light of the world. And if we don't speak, there is no hope. And for me, and I believe for all of us here, I don't want to stand before Jesus and have the dude next to me say, how come I never heard this before? Only to find out I had interaction with that guy every day year after year. I'm, I'm putting the press on all of us, including myself. I do get to spend the bulk of my time around the saints of God, and I love it. But I'm feeling a holy press right now from Jesus, who loves the lost, from the Father who is looking down the road and wondering who will go and seek and save that which is lost. You know, when Isaiah had his vision, he was taken up into heaven, Isaiah chapter 6, and he saw the Lord and, you know, the, all this stuff going on. He said, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he heard a song that they were singing around the throne. 
and it goes, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Do you, does it look like the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord to this eye? No, so it's time, the encouragement for us, is time to get this eye lined up with what heaven sees. It's already filled with the glory of the Lord. It's just a matter of who's gonna step through and acknowledge the reality that heaven already sees. The whole earth is hungry to be restored to God. The truth is every single soul alive is desperate to be reconnected to their creator, everybody. No matter how hard the exterior, no matter how much life has beat them down and put them in such a place that they don't, uh, like the name Jesus is like a cuss word to them, no matter what that hard exterior looks like, heaven's reality is the whole earth, that one included, is filled with the glory of the Lord. Who's gonna draw it out? Who will go and see the treasure hidden in a field and that hard-hearted one? Who will go and love that one who is so offensive that you can hardly stand to be near them for more than a few minutes at a time? Isaiah, uh, finally, Isaiah, you know, the Lord said, you know, whom, whom shall I send? And Isaiah, without hesitation, said, here I am, send me. You heard that song on that slideshow? Wasn't that an awesome song? They were singing that in every church we went to. If you call my name, I'll answer a million times. Who's ready to answer? That, that's the question of the ages. I'm, I'm not, this isn't, I hope you're not hearing anything I'm not saying today. But I am saying that it's time for us as a body, as a church, to begin to focus our energy, our effort, and our vision on those that are outside. Because we're a going church, all right? We just sent the team, we, sing, we all, by the grace of God, as a church, sent seven people across the ocean to go and minister Christ for two weeks. We had an absolute blast. I mean, there were hundreds, probably thousands of people that we touched, reached, saved, healed, delivered, all the stuff. And that was us. Uh, little old Millersburg is now touching another continent. God's graced us to be able to do that. But when Jesus said, you'll be endued with power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, you'll be my witnesses, so you're gonna open your mouth and you're gonna bear witness to what I've done in you and for you, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right here is our Jerusalem. They said, start where you live. I, I, I was also reconvicted about something the Lord really addressed with me years ago. And all of you who have been on a mission trip, you know what I'm about to say. It's some, in some ways easier to be bold and preach Christ when you go somewhere else. Right? Because you're never going to see these people again. If they reject the word, and there was, we went to one school and it was a public school. We were giving out soccer balls, loving on the kids. They were mocking us. I picked up just enough of the Liberian English to know they were making fun of us. I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'm never going to see you again. You know, I mean, part of me was like that. Part of me was grieved that this is like a thousand kids in a way overcrowded public school, and they're living in this deep poverty, desperation, and it felt really bad for them. But, but the reality is it's easier to do that because it can be a performance. It can be I'm going to work up my courage and I could do it for a week, but then I'm going to go back and slip back into my comfortable self-preserving world where I'll never be rejected. Now, Jesus will never be rejected. Can I share a secret with you? Jesus is not afraid of rejection. 
Christ in you is not afraid of rejection. He's already been there, done that. They hung him on a cross. That, um, you cannot reject, you cannot be clearer of a rejection than that. He's not afraid of rejection. Why are we afraid of rejection? Because we believe it's somehow about us. We lay hands on the sick and they don't recover. Oh man, what an embarrassment. Jesus isn't embarrassed. He said, go back and pray again. Oh man, I preached Christ to that person. They didn't get saved. I'm so embarrassed. How humiliating. Nobody responded to the altar call. How embarrassing. Who is this all about? Who is it for? Jesus is not ashamed of his gospel. How can we? So the question of evangel is not, am I called to go? The only question is, where am I called to go? Where am I called to go? And it begins in the backyard of where we are. So I'm going to just close with, uh, with a couple of last thoughts. The proverb, one of my favorite proverbs, is the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. How many wise guys we got here? I know you had all the fingers are pointing right now. There's a lot of wise guys, but how many wise men and wise women do we have in this place? Do you have Christ in you? He's the wisest thing in all of God's creation. He who wins souls is wise. Or he who is wise wins souls. You could say it either way in that. I'm, I'm exhorting us today to start looking to the fields that are white unto harvest. To start looking not at fields that we have judged as being stony, fruitless, hopeless. Let's repent of that way of thinking. Let's turn away from that. One of the meanings of repentance is change your mind. Think differently about that subject. You've been wrong. It's time to put on the mind of Christ. Jesus is always hopeful. There is never a moment in Jesus' mind that he says, man, this is hopeless. Let's just pack it in. In fact, he's not coming back for a world that's been in hopeless despair. He's coming back for a church triumphant. He's coming back for a church that says, hey, you tell us to go. We went. Here's what we did. We came, we saw, and here's the fruit of our labor. We want to present it to you. So here's two things that I want to give you as homework because I love you. <laughs> Don't feel homework like, oh man, what? That's what I, I know. I went to public school too. <laughs> homework? School's out. I won't be doing anything. No. This is life. This is the, the kind of behavior that will change life. We have before us life and death. God has set that before us, and, and I'd like us all to begin to view the world out there through a variety of ways. I want us all to be always looking with love, always looking with hope, always looking for the treasure hidden within even those who have completely corrupted their lives and look anything but Christ-like. All right, always. Barnabas' eyes, as you've heard me share before. Always looking for that. But also always looking at if there is somebody who has not yet repented and gone into the family of God. They're in danger right now. I know it's a harsh way of saying it, but they are as a dead man walking. That's real. All right, th this is reality check for all of us today. This isn't a game. Human life is not something to be trifled with. There is either going to be an end that results in death or an end that results in resurrection. 
unto eternal life in paradise. And God's put on our mouth, in our lips, the word of life. So here's the first thing I want to urge you to do, and this is going to be something we're going to do next week. Don't not come next week because I'm, all right? I'm taking attendance in my mind right now. I know where you all sit. I know where the empty spots are when you're not here. I'm watching you. All of us that ought to be able to share our testimony. How did you come to Christ? Here's the formula for a testimony. This is what I was like. This, by the way, should be the shortest part of the testimony. All right, sometimes I hear testimonies is like 20 minutes about what an awful, demonic, murdering sinner I was. And then I met Jesus, and now I'm a saint. And that's it. A <laughs> little bit about what we used to be like, a lot about what Jesus did, and an awful lot about what life is like now on the other side of the cross. That's a testimony I'm interested in. I could watch any television show to see life B.C., right? <laughs> a friend of mine said the other day, you know what the problem is with television? It's like we're just enjoying watching other people sin all the time. <laughs> Only me? Or is that why you got quiet? I said, ooh, I never thought of it like that before. I never thought of it that way either, like that. Master your testimony. This is your story. I'm going to show you something too. You don't have to be a long storyteller. You don't have to tell stories like Brian, like I do, where it could drag on for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's only because you're sitting in the front. That's why nobody sits up here. That was a, like a, a, an awakening moment for me. No wonder. <laughs> you should be able to share your testimony in three minutes. You want me to read you? Here, I'm going to read you the man who wrote half of the New Testament's testimony. Paul, that is, in case you're wondering. And how many of you know Paul could be really wordy? If you don't know that, read Romans sometime. All right? He can be really wordy. But he knew his story. The power of testimony. This is what it means to be a witness. What are we witness to? You and I are witness to the power of God to convert, to change us, to convert us from being a miscreant of X, Y. You could have been like the murderous kind, or you could have been the Pharisaic kind, but all of us needed Jesus. Even if you were raised in church and your worst sin was taking an extra cookie out of the cookie jar when grandma wasn't looking. Without Christ, we have a testimony. All of us have a testimony. Here's Saul's testimony, right? Time me on this. Somebody start a clock. Anybody have a timer? Who's got it? Who's got it? Todd, ready? Go. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, so he's before the council in Jerusalem, by the way. There, I even gave you an extra 10 seconds to explain that. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way of death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, and also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify to this. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners in order to punish them. But it happened... And I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. 
And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light to be sure but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up, go on into Damascus and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him and he said, the God of your fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was also standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And at that moment, they tried to tear him limb from limb. How long did that take? Three minutes exactly. I practiced. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I just, oh man, I knew it was going to be about that. A page and a half of scripture takes about three minutes to read in a normal voice. My point is, you don't have to be a theologian to preach Christ. You don't need to know anything actually to preach Christ except what he did to transform you out of darkness and into light. Paul wrote half the New Testament. He's standing before a council that includes the best theologians alive on the planet. He's got no theology for them that day. He just said, let me tell you how Jesus met me and knocked me off my high horse and transformed me into a whole new man. All of us have that. Practice your testimony. Say it in front of a mirror if you want to. Say it in front of your wife, kids, your whoever. Practice it. Next week, we're going to share communion together, among other things. And I'd like everybody to be prepared to share your testimony. You got three minutes. Three minutes. Okay? Three minutes. Second thing, and I'll close with this. Take five people that are in your life right now. All evangelism begins in the place of prayer. Why? Because the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. Second Corinthians 5 says, so that they will not hear. So, so they can't see the glory of the gospel. So we have to first pray for God to do the work ahead of us. They don't get saved because we say the right words. Nobody's ever gotten saved. Look, I'm gonna tell you now, when I go to Africa, every message I preach is the simplest gospel message I've ever preached. The first trip I went, we had a little over 50 ex-generals, like former combatants in the Civil War, and we were like six hours late. No exact, well, six hours late American time, right on time, Liberian time. 
which is the same thing. We got in there, we were so late, the men were getting frustrated, they kept feeding them to keep them there. So I got up, I preached for five minutes about Saul's conversion, and 50 of them came to the altar. Got saved and we baptized them. The message is simple. The message is simple, but it begins in the place of prayer that God will prepare the hearts of those who right now unbelieve. So five people that God has placed in your path that do not know him. Now they could be a prodigal or backslidden, that's fine. Somebody who right now is not walking with God, whose eternal condition is unknown to you, because you can't testify for sure that they're actually walking with the Lord, that they have become son, daughter of God, and have that live, living relationship with him. Five people, target them in prayer, and ask the Lord for wisdom on how to win over their soul toward Christ. There is a way in all of us in this room, if we'd share our testimonies, God came from every angle possible and found one crack in our armor, and that's when love broke through. So for those five people, I bet you probably already know, if I would be quiet for a minute and let you think about it, you easily have five people right now. Start with that. The multiple, this is how evangelism works in the church. There's a book I'm gonna have the leadership read and I'm gonna commend to you soon called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Let's say today, I don't know what, there's like 140 in the room, something like that, whatever we got, including the children's ministry, maybe 160. Let's say that all of us led one person to Christ and discipled them for five years. We've just doubled in size to 360. Then everybody included in that for the next five years does the same. Now I've just, my maths are done at this point. You get, you get the idea? By, really, by the time 40 years is up, we have a church of 30-something thousand. All discipled, all loved in the way of life, and, and none slip out of the Father's hand because we've been faithful to the thing that God said, which is go. Can we stand to our feet? And before we go, I'd really be remiss if you're here today. I mean, I'm recognizing most all of your faces, but if you are, in fact, here today, and you're not 100% sure. You're not 100% sure whether you stand with God. Maybe you did have a vibrant living relationship with him at one point. Fire's gone dim, and now you're like, man, I don't even know if I, like if I walked so far that I'm not even still a child of God. I've been away for so long. It's, you don't need to wait any longer today. Right now could be your moment to just say, you know what? No, no better time than the present for me to know for sure. It's as simple as saying, Lord, receive me back as a son. Forgive me for wandering off. Forgive me for the things that I did. There's no penance. There's no punishment on the other side of it. No hoops to jump through. Just a simple prayer just like that. And if you'd like to do that today, would you just lift your hand up right where you are? All right. The Lord just told me give an opportunity. I can't make you do it. So I'm assuming now that I'm talking to a room full of saints. So my final word to you is, it's go time. Have an awesome week with Jesus. May everyone that you come across, I pray that the fruit will fall off the vine in your hands. That those that are ripe for salvation, it'll be so easy for you that you'll become addicted to evangelism. And you'll wonder why you waited so long. Amen?